6. While you're turning there, I want to apologize in advance to my children. Um, Rachel just got back into town uh, for spring break last night, just in time to hear her daddy preach on sexual relations. So, welcome back, Rachel. Happy birthday. Please hear the Word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning with verse 9, and we will continue through chapter 7, um, verse 9. Or do you not know that the, right, the, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, and this is, by the way, not a repeat from what you uh, read in the response of reading. This is another passage altogether, but sounds very much like uh, what you uh, read. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice uh, homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and stomach for the food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Or shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. <clears throat> and likewise, the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by an agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am. But each man has his own gift from God, uh, one of one kind, 
and one of another. To the unmarried and to the widows I say this, it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Let's, give this, let's pray. Father, I ask for your wisdom. I ask for you to speak as this is a subject which our society and we as members of our society uh, need to hear probably more often than we hear it uh, from the pulpit. And so, God, I ask uh, for your help as I proclaim it. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As we get started, I want to give you a brief history lesson. And you're going to say, how does this relate to the topic of recovering our um, sexual sanity? The history lesson is this. Presbyterians and Baptists are descended directly from the 16th and 17th century English Puritans. And as Presbyterians, we celebrate the theological foundations that they left for us. And within the Baptist churches, there is actually a strong movement to return to their, you know, their Puritan roots. Um, we would like to say that uh, we have not uh, left our roots. In fact, um, our Confession of Faith, the Westminster Confession of Faith, was written by these Puritans. Uh, during the 1640s. And so I say this to emphasize that as we have Puritan roots, we also have very Puritan views regarding sexual relations. In fact, it is my contention that if we are going to recover uh, our sexual sanity we will benefit greatly by understanding how the Puritans viewed and practiced sexual relations. So then you ask, uh, how did the Puritans view and practice sexual relations? Well, most people uh, view the uh, Puritan view of sexual relations something like the Saab 500 uh, coop commercial that ran about uh, seven, eight, ten years ago. And here's how the commercial uh, was worded. Uh, a deep, uh, velvety voice uh, came over the air and it said, The 17th century Puritans were people who devoted their entire lives to work and prayer. They would not have approved of the sensual beauty of the new Saab 500 coupe. The Puritans believed that to have fun was a sin. There was no place in their lives for the pleasure and luxury of a new Saab convertible. For the Puritans, the only reason for living was to sacrifice and prepare for an eternity of holy peace. Aren't you glad you're not a Puritan? See your nearest Saab dealer. So, history somehow has convinced us that the Puritans were so prudish, so pleasure-hating, that they hated sexual relations and considered the act of sex... Uh, exceedingly sinful. This is very far from the truth. So let's see how Puritans viewed sexual relations because I believe they had a very biblical view. 
First of all, I need to point out that sexual relations are not exclusively or primarily intended for procreation. The Roman Catholic Church, however, uh, views sexual relations as exclusively for making babies. Uh, therefore, they are opposed to all forms of birth control, um, except for, I guess, natural uh, birth control. And this is why the, the Catholic Church is so up at arms right now about being forced by the federal government to pay for, um, where, where the federal government is forcing them to pay for their employees to have um, their birth control or to pay for their birth control. I have problems uh, with this as well, but I have uh, problems for different reasons, which I plan on addressing um, somewhat uh, next week in part two of the sermon. The Catholic Church has always viewed uh, virginity above marriage. This is why priests are forbidden from being married and why nuns um, take these vows of chastity. Even Augustine, who I love as a theologian, commended married couples uh, who abstained from sexual relations. I, I don't understand that. Um, but I bring this up for two reasons. First of all, um, I understand that uh, the previous pastor famously preached an infamous sermon against birth control. Uh, I believe he had 11 children. Um, I heard a lot about this sermon when I was uh, applying to, to be the pastor here. Um, and um, I strongly disagree with the view that he put forth. Um, However, my wife and I have friends who believe that uh, any form of birth control uh, is unbiblical. And about three months after we were married, um, they convinced us of their view for about a week. And uh, nine months later, Rachel was born. <laughs> and, uh, and that ended up being um, uh, one year and two days after, our, after we were married. Um, Mandy was actually going to uh, go to work as a school teacher while I was studying um, to get my Master Divinity degree, but once she turned up uh, pregnant, um, we then decided, well, why not have another child? Um, and so we had Rachel and Molly while we were in seminary. Um, Rachel, uh, that's not to imply that we aren't glad you're here. We are glad you're here. Uh, we have no regrets, even though we left seminary with more debt than we wanted. But the second reason I bring this up is that the Puritans were reacting very strongly to the, the, the Roman Catholic uh, view of, of sex um, or sexual relations. The Puritans believed that sexual relations were not something to be avoided within the marriage relationship, but rather sexual relations were a gift from God that was to be enjoyed, delighted in, and celebrated to the glory of God. 
The Puritans believed that it was God's desire that every Christian married couple regularly enjoy the best, the most intimate, I'm, I'm quoting here from Puritans uh, using their words, the, the best, the most intimate, the most satisfying relations of which humans are capable. Puritan preachers regularly preached and wrote about how couples, or married couples, should aim at unashamed, indulgent, and loving sexuality within the context of marriage. One Puritan pastor wrote that married couples may joyfully give due, benevol- due benevolence. That was the way they they would speak of, of sexual relations, the due benevolence. Um, so that, that Christian couples may, may joyfully give due benevolence to one another as two musical instruments rightly fitted to make a most pleasant and sweet harmony in a well-tuned consort. William Gouds, one of the leading Puritan preachers, said that married couples should engage in marital relations with goodwill and delight, willingly, readily, and cheerfully. In fact, there has been unearthed um, uh, in the last uh, hundred years or so a case of church discipline that uh, happened in one of the Puritan churches where there was a Mr. James Mattock and he was excommunicated because he denied, and I'm quoting here from the, the case, he denied conjugal fellowship unto his wife for the space of two years together upon pretext of taking revenge upon himself for his abusing her of her before marriage. In other words, they were not... They, they had relations before they were married. He felt guilty. He decided to atone for it by punishing himself and not having relations with his wife after they were married. And the church excommunicated him, disciplined him for doing this and being unwilling to change his practices. Martin Luther also rejected uh, or reacted against the Catholic view of sexual relations being exclusively for procreation. But he didn't go as far as the Puritans. Rather, Martin Luther believed that sexual relations and marriage were primarily for protection. What did he mean by that? Well, here in our text, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 2 and then also verse 5. Listen to the Word of God. The Apostle Paul writes, But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. And then go down to verse 5. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And so that's what he meant by protection, is that you wouldn't be tempted um, to to stray from the married relationship. Or if you were single, you should get married so that you would not sin against the Lord by by being sexually immoral. But Martin Luther, although he's right in principle, by making this his primary um, view of for the reason of sexual relations, uh, he misunderstood what Paul was trying to say. 
Paul was actually answering a question that the Corinthians had asked him by letter. So the Corinthians had, had sent to Paul a letter with several questions. And so Paul says in verse 1, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So they are asking him, Is it good not to have any sexual relations uh, with another woman? And what's happening here? obviously, was Corinth was a major city of commerce in the ancient world. The city was continually filled with travelers and with sailors who had been away from their families for several months at a time. And so a major sex industry had grown up in the city. In fact, the whole city was notoriously debauched. I think I may have mentioned this in our um, series as we went through the book of Acts. And so Paul warned the Corinthians against indulging in these practices because they were displeasing to God and they were also, these practices were destructive of the soul. And so that's why he is reminding them again here in 1 Corinthians. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. He's speaking to them very clearly. He's speaking to them very bluntly. Do not deceive yourselves. He's saying, Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But that was the culture of the city in which they were living. And he's saying, do not practice these things. If you are practicing these things, do not be deceived. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so I give you that same warning. Do not deceive yourselves. We live in a sex-saturated culture. Sex sells and everybody is selling it. And people are living together. People are, I think the term is these days, hooking up. They're viewing pornography, completely ignoring the marriage relationship. And the masses who are doing this in our country or around the world, Paul says, will not inherit the kingdom of God. I need to make one more point that Martin Luther makes before I move on, and that is marriage does have an aspect of protection. Or the, 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 the sexual relations within marriage has this aspect of protection. In fact, look at verses 8 and 9. The Apostle Paul says, To the unmarried and to the widows I say, it is good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. If you are unmarried, whether as a widow or widower or a single person, and you're not gifted with this gift of singleness, the Apostle Paul is saying, then you should get married. And I've wrestled with this this week. It almost seems like Paul does not leave it as an option. Well, you can decide to get married or not. If you don't have the gift of singleness, he's saying, you should probably be married. 
sexual relations are also not primarily for self-gratification. Look at verses 3 and 4 of uh, chapter 7. The Apostle Paul writes, The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Unfortunately, we live in a society that thinks that sexual relations are exclusively as well as primarily um, uh, there for self-gratification. Our society has a view of sexual relations that teaches that people are to use each other for their own self-gratification. The sad thing is is that those sexual practices are missing the real joy and the real glory of God's gift to married couples. Or even married couples who only see sexual relations for themselves rather than for their spouse are missing out on God's intended purpose and the real joys and glory that God has intended in giving uh, to humanity uh, the the gift of sexual relations. I'm going to leave this topic right here in the interest of time. I'm assuming that everybody here in this congregation that's old enough to know what I'm talking about knows that our society indeed practices um, these relations very gratuitously, very... Um, selfward. How do we know that the Puritan view is biblical? I've simply stated it. But how do we know? Well, we have a whole book of the Bible that is nothing less than an explicit and unblushing celebration of the sexual relationship within marriage. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the Song of Songs, or you might know it as the Song of Solomon. It's there amongst the books of Old Testament poetry. You've got um, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, or your your, uh, copy of the Scriptures may call it uh, the Song of Songs. It is an entire book that is devoted to the promotion of sexual intimacy within the covenant of marriage. C.J. Mahaney wrote a book um, called Sex, Romance, and the Glory of God. Um, He's Reformed. Uh, I'd highly recommend it. Um, He actually wrote this to men. His wife has a copy, uh, or has a book that she wrote to women. And then there's another book, Sex and the Supremacy of Christ, um, John Piper, and... um, C.J. Mahaney and his wife, Carolyn, each have a, a chapter in here, so if you want to just get one book, um, this is, uh, it takes a bit more of a, of a bird's eye view than a hands-on approach, which, he, which um, he and his wife do in their respective books. Um, 
but I'd highly recommend it if it's something you want to uh, pursue on your own. But anyway, he says this about the Song of Solomon. He says, It is an eight-chapter feast of unbridled, uninhibited, joyous immersion in verbal and physical expressions of passion between a man and a woman. And I'm just going to quote one, I may quote two verses from uh, the Song of Solomon just to give you a flavor for, for how the Song of Solomon or Song of Songs reads. In uh, Song of Songs chapter 4, verse 16, the bride says, Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind. Blow upon my garden, let its spices flow. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. She's not calling him to dinner. Uh, the husband responds in uh, chapter 5, verse 1. Oh, and, I, and he says, I came to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gathered my myrrh with my spice. I ate my honeycomb with my honey. I drank my wine with my milk. And uh, then they call each other and even call their friends, not in an... Not in an um, unrighteous sense but they call out um, eat and drink and be drunk with love they, as they are expressing their love for each other and their passion for each other um, and um, this is the way that the Puritans approach the sexual relationship within the context of marriage. The Puritans certainly did preach against sex outside of marriage, but they did so not because they were prudes, not because they hated pleasure, but because they valued so much the sexual relationship as a gift from God. That's why they protected it. What can we learn? And I'll be brief. First of all, God created the sexual relationship, but He also put boundaries around it. The sexual relationship is only for the married relationship. It is not a, and the ultimate life-fulfilling reality that our society makes it out to be. Our society has made a God out of the sexual relationship. Do not get carried away. It is not a God. But it is wonderful within the boundaries that our God has made for it. Secondly, sexual sin can be forgiven. The Apostle Paul says, do not be deceived. If you are sexually immoral and are living that lifestyle, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. But he says then, in verse 11 of chapter 6 in our passage, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. He's saying to the Corinthians, he's saying, you practiced the same debauched things that everyone around you in Corinth was practicing. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were cleansed by the blood of Jesus. You were changed, in other words, what he's saying. You were forgiven. 
And so there is forgiveness that the Lord Jesus holds out to all who come to Him and, and flee to Him and want to be changed by Him. Justifying faith, a faith that forgives you of your sins, is a faith that also fights against lust and flees from sexual immorality. Because it's a faith that sanctifies. John Piper uh, put it like this. He says, The challenge before us in our fight against lust is not merely to do what God says because He is God, but to desire what God says because He is glorious. The challenge is not merely to pursue righteousness, but to prefer righteousness. Let me ask you, do you prefer righteousness? That's the question. You mishear me. If you hear me up here just saying, Stop! Don't be sexually immoral. I'm saying more than that. I'm saying, Pursue God because He is glorious. Pursue God because He loves sinners. Pursue God because He is worthy to be pursued. And desire what He desires. And when you do that, when you prefer righteousness, you will not only stop the immorality, but you will positively positively pursue righteousness. I need to say a couple of words to the single people here. Um, in reading... Um, Richard Baxter, one of the Puritans, he gave some, some uh, words of advice to single people who did not have the gift of singleness, as Paul refers to it. And he said, first of all, don't be idle. If you're living an idle life, you're opening yourself to uh, temptation. Also, he said, get an accountability partner. Richard Baxter said, Concealment is Satan's great advantage. Maybe it might be that some of you who are married might need an accountability partner as well. Remember what our Lord Jesus said, It is better to enter heaven maimed than with your whole body to go to hell. And then thirdly, and this is, Baxter implied it, but others I read said it explicitly, and that is, if you're single, get busy about God's kingdom. In fact, the Apostle Paul says it here later in this passage. If you are pursuing Christ, and you are making a difference for His kingdom, and you are doing great things for God, your sexual drive will not be less nor should it be less. I'm not telling you to, to repress yourself. But rather, it will be less important. You know, I didn't get married till I was 24. I was pursuing God. I was pursuing the ministry. If I hadn't been so in love with Mandy, I don't know that I would have pursued marriage r right away at all. Um, and uh, because I was so infatuated with the kingdom of God. 
and I was being so effective in the things of God that these other things just kind of fell to the wayside. I didn't have to... I, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'm a guy, I struggled just as every guy struggles. But having a view that was so much bigger than myself, having a life so much bigger than myself, looking at God and doing things for Him, it was glorious. So lastly, I want to conclude by saying that the sexual relationship within the marriage relationship is for the glory of God. And we need to recouple this idea of sexual relations with the glory of God. And it will help bring everything else, all this chaos about sexual relations, all this stuff from our society that's always being pelted upon us, it will bring it all into a better focus. Let's pray together. Almighty God, I've spoken bluntly and clearly about a subject that we in the church typically only whisper in the corners. But God, it is being trumpeted everywhere outside the church. And it is causing great temptation for the vast majority in the church. And God, I pray that You would help us to be reminded of Your glory and to keep our eyes fixed on You and to enjoy every gift that You have given us for Your glory. For You have told us whether we are eating or drinking or whatever we are doing, we are to do it for the glory of God. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.